Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In this weekend's Gospel, we have that great story of the rich man. Now this story was Pope John Paul II's most favorite Gospel story. In fact, this story inspired John Paul II to write his encyclical Veritas Splendor, the splendor of truth. And at the very beginning of the encyclical, he breaks this story down in great depth. So what I want to do is I want to do the same thing myself. I want to really focus in on this story and how this story really gives us such meaning. Now, John Paul II, he often referred to this story many ways. He often said that within this story of the rich young man captures the essence of the spiritual and moral life. So what I want to do is focus all of our time and attention on it. Now, how does it begin? It says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, stop right there. There's a lot of things that we can take just from that. He ran up to Jesus. In the ancient world, only young people ran. People that were experienced or elderly people, they walked. It was a dignified way to approach somebody. If you were an elderly person or a senior person, you walked to that person. Older people didn't run. So we can tell from the very beginning, he's young. He's also running up to Jesus, which means he's eager. He's on fire for the faith, which is great. And he goes to Jesus with that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he goes to Jesus with that question. This is important. He doesn't go to the priests in the temple of Jerusalem with that question. He doesn't go to the Pharisees or the scribes. He doesn't go to the leading rabbis of the time. No, he goes to Jesus and Jesus alone. Why? Because he knows Jesus is the source of eternal life, just like we do. And so, in so many ways, this young man represents all of us. Now, notice Jesus' answer to the rich young man's question. He says, You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus answers this young man by saying, essentially practice the Ten Commandments. Now this also is important for us because the Ten Commandments, Jesus is telling us, help us to lead a life that best mirrors the life of Jesus Christ. And so that's the reason why Jesus answers this young man's question by just telling him, you know, live out the life of the Ten Commandments. Because if we do, we're living a life of Jesus Christ. And so what we have to recognize, the Ten Commandments are relevant to us, even though they've been given to us thousands of years ago by God. Now, I think I've given you the example a few months ago. 
You know, when there's that story about in Oklahoma, the courts actually decided to essentially sandblast the Ten Commandments off the courthouse. Well, one of the local politicians who was Catholic said, you know, we shouldn't be worried about that. Why? Because he said, you know, the Ten Commandments aren't relevant anymore. So it's okay if we take them off the courthouse. Well, absolutely wrong. Jesus proves in this gospel story the commandments are relevant. They do help us pattern our life after Christ. And they will help us to attain eternal life. That's why Jesus gives us that specific answer to this rich young man's question. Now, take it a step further. You know, throughout our country, over the past several years, you could even say over the past several decades, you see forces within our country, within our culture and society, that are slowly chipping away at the presence of God in our society in many different ways. You know, just, for example, this case in Oklahoma over the summer, in which the courts decided that it was okay to sandblast the Ten Commandments off the courthouse. Or about a year ago, you know, the courts decided to take the Ten Commandments off of a public square. Or just look at things like Christmas. You know, we can no longer say Merry Christmas to people. Instead, we have to say Happy Holidays. You know, the nativity scene is now banned from all local public entities or courtyards, you know, because it offends people. We can no longer call a Christmas tree just that. Instead, it's a holiday tree. See, these are all ways in which our culture, forces in our culture, are slowly chipping away at the presence of God in our society and in our culture. Well, you say, well, why? What's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. The Russian writer Dostoevsky once wrote a story called The Brothers Karamozov. It's a story in which, at one point in time, they start speculating about God, where God is, what God does. And they make a powerful statement. They say, if you remove God from any culture or society, then anything is permitted. Just think about that. That's a powerful statement. And yet it's so true. If you remove God from any culture or society, then anything is permitted within that culture or society. Well, that is so true. If you see what's going on in our country in so many ways, you see things are now being permitted that were never thought about or even talked about before. I'll give you one great example. Look at the outright assault on life in our country. Just look at Planned Parenthood. Not only are they engaged in genocide, the deliberate destruction of life, but then selling those mutilated body parts for profit. Or look at terrorism that kill innocent people. Look at embryonic stem cell research, the outright destruction of embryonic stem cells, which is life itself, for research. Or look at some states that have already passed, you know, suicide-assisted laws. See, this is just one example amongst many in which the removal of God in our culture, and our society, will allow anything to be permitted. It's scary. It's frightening. But we must be aware of it ourselves. Again, you see these slowly forces that are chipping away, you could say an outright erosion, of the presence of God in our society. Well, when that happens, then you see these terrible things occurring because anything is truly permitted.
Well, what we have to do is recognize that and do our best to fight that. How do we do it? Well, by following the Ten Commandments ourselves. When we do that, we pattern our life after Jesus Christ. And then we will always maintain good spiritual health. You know, in some ways, a good analogy would be, you know, we go to our doctor every year or every other year for annual physical. And as we go to our doctor, we say to them, you know, what must I do to maintain good health? Well, your doctor will tell you, well, eat a balanced diet and get some exercise and get a good night's sleep and do other things. You go to that doctor because you know that doctor knows everything that is to know about the body. But most importantly, what makes the body flourish and becomes stronger and healthy. Your physician is the source of that knowledge. You do not go to McDonald's to the drive-up window and ask the attendant, hey, what must I do to maintain good health? Well, that's not the source of good health. So you don't do stuff like that. Instead, you go to the correct source. Well, that's exactly what this young man is doing. And also, we too. We must go to the source. We must go to Jesus Christ each and every day of our life in many different ways. Prayer, through the Eucharist, reconciliation, confession, an active sacramental life, stewardship. And in doing so, Jesus gives us the same answer. What we must do to have eternal life and good spiritual health. Now, the young man responds and he says, Teacher, all these things I have observed from my youth. So that's good. That's great. He's already doing it. And Jesus responds. It says, He looked at him and loved him. Now, that's what I like the most. He looked at him and he loved him because he was following the Ten Commandments. He was patterning his life after Christ. I think that's what God does each and every day of our life. God looks at us because we pattern our life after the Ten Commandments. And each and every day, he looks at us and he loves us, just like this rich young man. And then he extends the invitation to us just like he does with the rich young man in the story. It continues, Jesus said to him, You are lacking in one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and the rich young man went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, therein lies a great spiritual lesson for us all. What we have to do is recognize that nothing, nothing in this world should come between us and our relationship with God, especially when God offers us that same invitation to intimacy every day of our life. See, that was the problem with the rich young man. His possessions came between him and Jesus Christ. What we have to do is follow the example of St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius always taught his Jesuit monks the indifferentia, indifference, not apathy, but the indifference to things of this world. As I've mentioned before, each and every one of us has an infinite longing for the divine in our life. Well, when we attach that infinite longing for the divine to something else in this world, like this rich young man did, well, then we'll never be satisfied. We'll never be happy. And worse yet, we'll decline that invitation to intimacy with Christ. What we must do is practice that indifferentia, or that, you could say, that detachment. Allow nothing in this world, especially the worldly goods, to interfere with our relationship with God. 
or of our accepting that invitation that is given to us every day of our life to greater intimacy with Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Worldly goods are good. You know, we all have houses and cars. We all have, you know, golf clubs and bikes and all those things, TVs and radios and cell phones. Those are all good. There's nothing wrong with them. They're all good in in their own self. They're all gifts given to us by God. We should enjoy them, but we don't allow them to come between our relationship with Christ and accepting the invitation to intimacy he gives us each and every day of our life. Another way to think about it is the worldly goods in our life don't define who we are. Instead, the source of our identity comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ and accepting that invitation to intimacy each and every day of our life. That's what gives us our identity. I'll leave you with just a few last thoughts. A person that really practices indifferentia or detachment is a person that can say, Lord, I don't care if I'm rich or poor. I don't care as long as I can serve you. Or, Lord, I don't care if I'm young and strong or, or old and feeble. I don't care as long as I can serve you. Or the person says, Lord, you know, I don't care if I live in that mansion on top of the hill or if I live in that tiny shack in the valley. I don't care as long as I can serve you. See, that's the attitude of indifferentia, detachment. That's the attitude that always accepts that level of intimacy that Christ invites us into each and every day of our life. And see, I think that's the reason why Pope John Paul II was so infatuated with this story. It really cuts to the heart of the spiritual life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.